You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now? A Practical Path to Authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the spirits to be with us here today. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all that is good and true and beautiful in all of our ancestral lines, to those people who lived well and died well and learned how to participate here with all life in a good way. And I ask for those ancestors to join us here today to help the living to come to understand what it is that we are here to do and how to do that in a good way. Humans at this time, the living, are exceedingly good at manifesting, but pretty weak in manifesting in a way that will be good for the next seven generations. We can't even make it good for the next generation. And so I call out to you ancestors who understood how to make decisions and sacrifices so that all that was put in place would be good for those who are coming. We ask you to stand with us, to help us to learn again what you once knew, and to find the creative and innovative ways to put those teachings into manifestation in our time. So we call out to you, the ancestors, to join us here today and to help us, help the living do what we've come here to do in a good way. And so we each now turn our awareness from our heads to our hearts, And we draw our energy down from our hearts to our bellies. And we send it down from our bellies down to the earth. And we take a moment here, humbly on the surface of this earth. And we give thanks for this day. We give thanks for the wonder and the beauty inherent in it. We give thanks for all that has been that has brought us to this moment. For all that is and all that will be. We give thanks for every gift that has come into our life that remains disguised as a problem. We give thanks for the earth for that great generosity and for those things that will come upon our path along the way to help us to open these gifts, to understand the richness that we have been given, to come to understand how to live life in a good way. So we give thanks for this great generosity in the dreaming of the earth that brought life as we experience to this planet. And we take a moment just to give profound awe, just a moment to be in awe of life our own life, and the great diversity around us. So with that gratitude in our hearts, let us extend our energy down through all the layers of the earth, sending out that love and and generous gratitude to all the layers of the earth as we reach down to the very center of the earth and into the very essence energy of the earth. We reach in and ask that energy to rise up, to come up through all the layers of the earth into our bodies, into our day, into these proceedings, bringing into our life this energy of restoration and rejuvenation and replenishment, the energy of stillness and silence and solitude, the energy that we can then use for grounding to create a sense of place and home and to come to understand where we stand and what in our life is worth fighting for. 
We give thanks to the earth as we draw up all of this wisdom of manifestation. And we draw this energy into our life that we can understand how to create a sense of hearth and home that is not only warm and uh, generous towards those that we know and love, but is open to the other. That we might invite the other into our table to come to grow richer and more expansive as a human. So we call the energy of the earth in to help us to connect, help us to interconnect, and help us ultimately to understand the great oneness of life, this great, great web of life. And to the energy of the earth for all of this and so much more, we give thanks. We draw the energy of the earth up from the belly to the heart and the heart to the mind. And we rise up with the energy of the earth through all the layers of the sky. The sky above and whatever weather it holds, whatever time of day you are listening. Out through the atmosphere and all the way up, out into the cosmos and out past all the heavenly bodies and all the great wonders and mysteries of our universe. All the way out to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name we know that power, name it, know yourself in it and it in you and draw this energy down, drawing in all the wisdom of the cosmos into yourself, into your day, into these proceedings. We draw in the energy of blessing and generosity and the benevolence of our universe. We draw down the energy of protection and the feeling in life that there is inspiration and there is illumination along the way. We call these energies in, into our head, into our heart, into our belly, and we invite this energy to reach all the way down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we choose to be that conduit between heaven and earth that allows these energies to come together in the great big love of yin and yang, of the Tao, of the complementary dualism that is the true nature of things as we experience it here in form. And with that big love within us, these two great and legendary lovers, earth and sky, we ask the spirit of the heart to be awakened by that love and to truly open up and to be the crucible of transformation that it is uniquely shaped to be. That it somehow has the capacity in its, in its unconditional acceptance to draw up the fiery passions of the belly, all undisciplined and wild and unruly, to call these energies up into the heart and to call down the crystal clarity of the mind and to let these energies dance together to bring forth that third energy that is your ever-growing knowing of why you are here. And you let that memory, that heart memory awaken by allowing these two energies to dance and to stir your knowing of why you are here. And may you find in that wonderful, gorgeous human heart of yours the courage to do something in this day to bring your own gifts out to into the world in true and full manifestation. So with all of these energies gathered around us, above and below, the helping spirits around, the ancestors around, we give great thanks for the support that we have as a living here on this planet. May what needs to be said be said, and what needs to be heard be heard, and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. 
And I have great gratitude for Os- to Oscar and to Pamela and Nate and Deb, to David, Laura and Chelsea and all of you listeners who have been able to donate to the show. Whether you donate in great gobs of generosity or in little handfuls of generosity, it's all generosity. And I am grateful for all of it. The show would not be here for you and those who can't afford right now to support the show financially if it weren't for those of you who are willing to offer. Um, we give thanks to you for donating. You can donate, donate any amount, large or small, in any currency. We accept it all, and it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. So if this show moves you in any way, if it challenges you, even if it irritates you, know that you've been moved in some way and allow that movement in the heart to motivate you into action and please do something to help the show to grow. Donate um, at whyshamanismnow.com in the support section. Um, If you have a PayPal account, I believe you can set up your own recurring payments if you want. Um, Share the teachings from the show in your journey circles. Um, Bring the questions into your own journeys. Um, Do your best to live the teachings. Teach your kids. Do whatever it is that can in some way help the show to grow. Send in your questions. Send in your ideas for shows. But to help us to continue to do what it is that we are here to do, which is to become the new people who can write the new story for the new world. And so I thank you all for joining me in this endeavor. And I don't always remember to do this, but I also want to give thanks to Canon Co-Creator Network for supporting us so beautifully in technology. Logically, um, bringing the show out and giving the show a home. So thank you all. So today we are live. Um, if you have questions about the show's topic, you can call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or just email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. Okay, so today we are... Um, exploring the question, why are we so afraid to die? There's just been a numerous things going on in my life lately reminding me how afraid we are culturally here in America to die. One of the main things is I'm recently back from teaching the first part of the fourth year in the cycle of transformation teachings, which is laying the bones to rest. And in this year we are working with how do we participate responsibly and skillfully in the dreaming in the big dream that is dreaming all of reality into existence and a piece of that is um, gaining our dream tool and learning how to work with vision and the future and how do we align our uh, expression of our soul's purpose our kind of personal dreaming with this bigger dream so that's a piece of the work but another big piece of the work for contemporary practitioners is clearing unresolved ancestral energies. And this is not necessarily traditional work because traditional shamanic people would have made sure there were not unresolved energies of their ancestors. At each death, each death would be tended in such a way that the dead did not hang around and that their unresolved energies did not uh, hang around and become a burden um, on the living. But that is not the world that we live in today. We live in a world with great and ever-growing ancestral, unresolved ancestral energy burden. And it is deeply affecting our physical health, our mental health, our capacity to see the world differently. And, And specifically, 
and I mean this very, very literally, our capacity to understand that we can rewrite the story and to actually write a new story with new motivations and new endings. And this is incredibly important because the weight of these unresolved ancestral energies create in us the tendency to repeat old patterns in a very, very big and life-denying way. So anyway, I am very recently back from this first week where we investigate um, not only the vision and the dream tool, but how do we clear our own unresolved ancestral energies. And this is very um, intensive work because it's so deeply emotional to clear your own unresolved ancestral energy because we are all living those patterns. And so it's very challenging to endeavor to clear patterns you're not clear about yourself. It's very hard. And one of the reasons we do this as group work is so that the work you can't do yourself because you are simply too enmeshed in the pattern. And because it is your pattern, the possi- there are no other possibilities. That it, 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 It's too hard to be the agent of change because you can't see any possible change. And thus we do it in a group so the pieces that someone can't do for themselves, others can do for them. So it's very deep in terms of our commitment, not only to our own family lines, but through this work um, to humanity. And in helping each other, we help humanity. And it's, it's, it's um, profound in that sense. But with that always comes deep, deep conversations about death and about dying and about why so many of our ancestors get stuck along the way to the land of the dead, and why so many have been stuck for literally hundreds of years, making it harder and harder and harder for each generation of descendants to actually live freely, live clearly and truly, and clear out. And so this is... um, A very, very, very rich discussion that ends up provoking in people deeply buried unconscious beliefs about death. And what we see as we're endeavoring to help people um, clear out who have died is one of the main reasons people get stuck at death is they're afraid. And they're not actually just afraid of the unknown because frankly – What happens when we die is so magnificent, it can really kind of overrun any generic fear of the unknown. It's that human beings are very actively engaged in being afraid of going to hell. And it really simply boils down to that. So the thing about the conversations at this workshop is that they really challenge people because Even if we're not actively religious, most contemporary Western people carry some sense of these stories that arise from religion about death. And so we carry these stories either consciously, as in, I choose to continue to believe what I was taught in temple, mosque, or Sunday school. So it can be a conscious choice that I I choose to believe what I was taught in my religion, 
or it can be unconscious as in I carry this cultural default story that defines what I think about death and dying and that this story lies basically undisturbed in my consciousness because I, for the most part, choose not to think about death or dying, which is another big error in contemporary American culture at least is that we we really avoid death at all possible cost. Um, So most people are simply completely uninformed about what actually happens when we die. Um, And most people are also misinformed. So even those of you who have uh, turned to more new age stories um, are t- are, and are largely talking about what psychics have shared with us when they investigate what happens after death, one of the things that's important to understand is present time psychics are investigating the current situation and the current situation is a broken system. Um, so what is and isn't there is not necessarily what should be there. Um, and and what is going on right now is a a broken system and b not good for life. Um, it's not good for human life for reasons I've already described, but it's not good for um, the rest of life, the big life, um, all the other life, because it makes us make decisions that are short sighted and desperate and fear based, and so we we decide to do things that ultimately result in the death of other species and often really important species like bees. Like, for example, without them, we wouldn't end up without food. So we, so it, these, the, this situation is not just about humans because humans have such a huge impact on the planet and all life. Okay, so just to be clear, I'm not saying these psychics aren't correct. They are. However, there's always this issue of interpretation because most psychics have words like heaven, hell, purgatory, paradise, limbo to work with and that these words have very little to do with what's really going on. So what words do we use? How do we explain what we're encountering there in the world uh, without form? You know, and then the second issue is that when we're, when we're listening to what psychics are saying is that what is isn't as it should be. And so there are certain assumptions being made that this is what happens when you die. It's, well, this is what happens in a broken system when you die. And so the beauty of shamanism is that we can actually go explore what is going on energetically and functionally when we die without worrying about whether or not we're supporting some religious story. And so this is the kind of things that we end up having deep conversations about in the context of clearing um, this, these um, ancestral energies when we're involved in the fourth year. Um, it happens to some degree in the ancestral healing training, um, but, not, but the training is very short the fourth year is an entire year. I mean, it begins with a long week in where we're immersed in this work. And so many, many deep um, and challenging conversations ensue. But basically, what we need to understand as we explore death shamanically, just um, as, an, as, as energy and looking at what's happening functionally without getting involved in anybody's particular religions, is 
that death is a transition through a threshold. And that threshold is the transition from being in form to an existence that is without form. And so it's a very important transition and it's a challenging shift because this experience of form is so convincing. We get attached to it. It involves uh, both a great deal of pleasure and for many a great deal of pain. Nonetheless, it feels real and we get attached to this reality. And so death is that transition out of this very strong felt experienced reality this sense of form into an existence without form. Now, well, I won't go there right now. Okay. So, and in it, this is a challenging transition and it's a critically important transition. Just as it is a hugely energy intensive and critical transition to go the other way from formlessness into existence in form, which would be birth. You know, so this movement in this cycle from formlessness and connection to the oneness into form, still connected to the oneness, out of form into formlessness, connected with the oneness, back into form. You know, this, this movement, this cyclical movement through form and no form are simply manifestations of oneness, just like yin and yang are manifestations of chi. And so this is death. And that could be the end of the show, people. <laughs> That's it. That's what death is. So there. But we've made it so complicated because we're so afraid something else is actually going on. So what's important to understand is death is a transition through a threshold and it's a very important one and it's a challenging one. And because it is challenging and important that we make this transition completely Humans at death are receive the extension of an unbelievably beautiful and unique help that extends from the formless world, from that realm, towards us here in this form realm to connect with the freshly, newly formless spirit who needs to go now on the journey to complete this transition from form to, to the, the place to hang out in formlessness. And so this amazing spirit help reaches to us at death to make sure that we uh, accomplish this transition. And this help reaches out to every human, regardless of how you've chosen to live your life, good or bad, the help is there for you. And what your choices do is they shape what you're willing to see, how you see this energy that reaches out to you, what your beliefs do shape how you see, how you interpret this energy as it reaches out to you. So if you believe, you know, a Christian God is going to send you angels to escort you along the way, that's what will happen. That's how you'll see it. That's what I mean by your beliefs will shape what you see. The thing about this energy is that it's so unbelievably beautiful our mind is somewhat paralyzed in trying to understand how to see it. And that's in some ways why beliefs can be helpful because they help you actually see it and go with it. But the important thing to understand is this energy comes to every dying human no matter 
how they've lived their life, no matter their beliefs. It doesn't. It, 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 the system is so much bigger than all the many little systems we've created inside of it that it just reaches out to us at death because death and birth are universal and they matter. They don't happen differently for a Christian or a Muslim or a Hindu. Birth is birth, death is death. It's human. Humans do it here on this planet. Okay. So this unbelievable help reaches out to us and um, – This assistance is not only so unbelievably beautiful, but it is so energy intensive that the realm of formlessness cannot extend this help to us forever. So when we die, we need to reach out to the hand that is offered us and take it and go and get out of here. We need to be done. We need to leave. And this is why many traditional funeral practices have a particular thing that has to happen within four days. That certain, certain things need to happen within that time frame because that's about how long the formless realm will extend this energy to us. It can't afford to extend it forever. It costs too much. It's too energy intensive. So everybody gets it. The question is, do you notice it as you're freshly dead and suddenly without form? So those who are willing to see that help in any form, just to see it, to, to recognize that help, to feel its beauty and its rightness, can complete the transition regardless of their beliefs and regardless of their sense of whether they are worthy of it or not. So um, this energy will convey any dead human to the place where they can reconcile their life, at least that far, which is well out of the realm of the living. Or... If the person who has just died is actually reconciled in their life, this energy will convey you all the way back to oneness with all things and into the land of the dead. So all you need to do is grasp the hand that is reached out to you and go. The issue is we don't go. Or the issue is we simply refuse to see and we miss out. And so why do people refuse to see this help that is being offered them? One is because they are looking back at their life. They are looking back in regrets. They are looking at what is unlived. They are looking at what is unresolved. They are looking back. They are not looking forward. And so basically they have the head down and they miss it. Or sometimes people honestly, sincerely don't realize they're dead. And this is what happens in an untimely death, an accidental death, um, a death of someone who is young and really hasn't lived, doesn't appear to have lived their full life out yet, that there is a sense of suddenness that can cause someone to really actually not realize that they're dead. But the main reason that this happens, the main reason we miss this gorgeous opportunity to be embraced by this unbelievably beautiful energy and just go where we're meant to go into this formlessness and oneness with the divine and just be hanging out in the yumminess, the reason we don't is because we're afraid. So all of this could happen naturally, no matter how stupid you were in your life, no matter how ignorant, no matter how many people you abused, no matter how much you messed up, no matter how much of your life you left unlived. If you just noticed the help that was there for you, If you weren't afraid and you weren't ignorant of these things, you could go. But the issue is we're afraid. We are deeply, deeply afraid. And we panic. 
We don't know what to do because no one's told us what happens when we die. No one's told us how to get to where we need to go. No one's told us to look for the unbelievably beautiful energy that reaches down to us because most people are still struggling with their beliefs of their own lack of self-worth and can't imagine that the universe would hand them something so gorgeous as a hand up to the land of the dead. So to complete the story, though, once a human, freshly dead, or at any time dead, actually, is reconciled, reconciles their life, then the energy of the formless world can help us to continue to the land of the dead. And this is usually involves, um, from our standpoint as the freshly dead, being greeted by our loved ones who are already dead. And um, this usually happens at the much-discussed white light place. So these things that we know about aren't unreal. It's just we don't really understand the sequence of things. So then from the land of the dead... An aspect of the soul, okay, yeah, an aspect of the soul can return to us, the living, as an actually helpful ancestral helping spirit. And so it's important to understand if you want to help your loved ones, you need to leave and come back to them as a helping spirit from the land of the dead. Don't hang around. And the same thing for those of you that want your loved ones to stay around to help you. You must let go so they can get to the land of the dead and come back to you. And these these, um, actions are supported and embedded in shamanic people's funeral practices so that – this, this time of letting go occurs and is encouraged and is um, ritualized, um, is part of the ceremony so that the energy can go all the way to the land of the dead and come back. And why? Why is that so important? Because part of what it means to, quote unquote, have arrived at the land of the dead and been allowed to have access to the land of the dead is that one reconnects. That, 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 the, that the spirit energy that was this individual incarnate soul becomes one with all things again, becomes one with the oneness. Okay, so, so there. So that's really the functional perspective um, from most shamanic cultures, a pretty cross, cross-cultural point of view, that along that way, along that journey – There is no issue of judgment. There is no issue of purgatory or heaven or hell or any complexity. There is just you being willing to clear out of here to get, if your life isn't reconciled, to the stage where you must reconcile your life or you can't go any further, to reconcile it and move on and get to the land of the dead and return to your descendants if you choose to as a helping spirit. So now... I'm going to leave that for just a moment and explain a couple more things just because I don't want a whole bunch of emails about, well, so what happens to your mortal soul, blah, 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 blah. One of the things we need to understand about shamanic people cross-culturally is that most of them believe in, re- in some version of reincarnation, not necessarily precisely a Buddhist version, but some understanding that the complexity of a human soul is so amazingly energy intensive and dramatic that it's not going to just be created and not recycled. 
That's just a silly waste of energy. And there's just an understanding that things are cyclical. And there is an understanding that people come back to us in other generations. There just is simply an understanding that there is a movement from form into formlessness and eventually back into form. Different stories about how that happens, but basically an accepted principle. That, in other words, the path is circular, not linear. And that's very important because in Christianity, Judaism, Muslim, you know, in many of these world religions, the path is linear. You're born, you live, you die, you're done. You get judged, period. Right? Okay. Part of the problem, actually. Okay. The other thing that shamanic people generally believe is that what we consider, most contemporary people consider the soul as this one thing and we, and we equate it, if we believe in reincarnation, we equate it with the immortal soul. We don't understand that the immortal soul, that which reincarnates through lifetimes, is only one aspect of the energies that sort of glom together to be the soul to be what we would consider the soul, capital T, capital S soul. But that the immortal soul is only a part of that. So if you look in Chinese medicine or shamanic cultures or many uh, people that do pay attention to what happens at death, you can see that there is an understanding that there are different aspects to what we consider the soul. So for the sake of our radio show here today, we're going to just name the three we usually talk about, which is there is the aspect that is the immortal soul. There is the aspect that is cultivated by the choices you make in this life. Every choice you make in this life is contributing to the quality of your soul energy. And that's a very important thing to understand that most people don't. And so that it's that energy that actually, in a sense, turns back to assist the living as an ancestral helping spirit, which is why we recognize it as grandma or Aunt Sue or, you know, great uncle Bob, because it, it, it initially to us has that flavor of that person and the life and the kind of choices they made. And while in the meantime, the immortal soul energy is going off and reincarnating who knows where. Right? And then there is another component of the soul force energy, which is the energy that resides in the physical body that is meant to return to the physical world at death. And so there is an aspect of energy that is meant to just drop back into the physical world, and we should not prohibit that. And then there are these other energies, the immortal soul and this um, potential ancestral helping spirit soul. These energies are meant to make this journey to the land of the dead and to reconnect with the oneness um, in that realm. So now what happens when this energy gets stuck on its journey? So one thing that happens is we get past life issues. Another thing that happens is we get unresolved ancestral energy issues. And another thing that happens is we end up with no ancestral helping spirits. And these are all, from a shamanic perspective, very problematic. So... Why are we afraid to die? That's really the topic of today, not ancestral healing. So the idea that the idea, the story, the teaching that we would go anywhere but home when we die has done great harm to humanity. It has caused great, great suffering and created an enormous logjam of frightened souls stuck between here 
and the land of the dead. So this, these stories, these cultural stories about hell and all this misinformation about death, but particularly the idea that a soul could go anywhere but home at death has done enormous damage to a process that otherwise could work beautifully no matter how ignorant you were when you were alive. If you were simply taught to look for the hand that is reaching down for you, the energy that comes for you when you die and go with it, and you, there was no fear put into your being about the possibility that, that that hand wouldn't be there because you were a bad person, what human being hasn't screwed up? What human being can't look back at countless things and go, crap, I was a bad person? No, what human being hasn't made mistakes? We're here to learn for goodness sakes. Of course we've failed. Of course we've harmed others. Of course we've done damage. Every single one of us. And now you tell people a story that if they've done any of those things, God knows and you'll be punished and you'll go to hell. Of course people panic. And the problem with the fact that they panic is they miss their glorious moment. They miss the truth. They miss the reality that we are one with all things and that oneness is reaching out to you to bring you home. And so telling any human being any story other than the fact that when you die, you go home is a horrible, horrible disservice. It causes great suffering in the life lived and all that log jam of people that don't clear out of here because they're terrified to die and they don't know what to do when they die creates even more suffering for the living. So I'm asking you to become accountable for that story. And if you have already taught that story to your children, unteach it. Teach your children what really happens when they die. And then begin to explore the fears that you carry. So why are we so afraid of death? This is why. So I did a Google search yesterday and got really depressed. (laughs) I Googled, how do you deal with fear of death? And the results were unbelievably lame. Why? Because no one wants to look at where this fear really comes from. No one wants to take on the sacred cow, as I just did. We, the Christian, Jewish, Muslim people, have terrified people around the world for centuries with our stories of hell. And it's just a story. It's a story based on a lie. And it's a lie that we are separate from God. We are one. There is no separation, heaven, hell, demons, angels, and all the humans in the mix. No separation. Hell is just a story. Now, with all these people believing in hell, we surely have given that story a great deal of power. So you may indeed find hell realms if you believe in that sort of thing. I personally am trying to take responsibility to police my fears and not add any energy to those stories. Nonetheless, lots of people in the world adding energy to the big, fat, scary story of hell. So, powerful story. 
And that still does not mean that that's where you go when you die. It just means human beings in their ignorant lack of policing their inner storyteller have created a very scary story. It still doesn't mean that trumps the bigger reality. The bigger reality is the great oneness cares about birth and death and is there for you no matter what life you lived. So stories made up by humans to control humans are just little stories. Even though a whole bunch of people believe in them, they still don't trump what's really going on. So just because humans made up stories about hell doesn't mean that you actually go there when you die. And so just in case you all think at this point in time I'm crazy, let's remember Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Season 5. Season 5, everybody's been... um, through magic, uh, accepted the fact that Buffy has a little sister, which, of course, she didn't in season four. Now, suddenly, she does in season five. And the little sister isn't really a person. She's a key, and she's a key to a particular hell realm. And in the end of season five, Buffy sacrifices herself to save her sister and to save humanity so that the hell realm doesn't open by the use of the key which would be the death of the little sister. And so Buffy sacrifices herself, Hell Realm closes, it's all good for humanity. Now, because Buffy's friends are very gifted um, witches and such, but also because they are ignorant Westerners, they believe Buffy's gone to hell and they must rescue her from hell. And so they do very, very powerful spells and they resurrect her, they bring her back from the dead. And what they do not understand and what she never has the courage to tell them is they drug her back into life, a life she had completely reconciled. They drug her back from heaven. Well, they drug her back from oneness. They drug her back from a beautiful place that she was connected to all things and knew that she had lived well, that her life was reconciled and she was at peace. And they drug her back. And so this is a great example of our assumption that if there's a hell, that's where we go when we die. No, not even Buffy. Not even in the closing of a quote-unquote hell realm did she actually go there because the bigger system trumps all of our human stories. No matter how many humans have been invested in those stories and how many great books have been written about them, the bottom line is oneness. And that is where we go when we die, if we pay attention. So in the Western world, we just assume that everyone does and assumes things because we do. And it's a very, very dumb assumption. Um, However, we persist in refusing to look at what the stories we have told ourselves and the difference in people of other cultures who tell different stories. We tend to act as if somehow those people are ignorant. And if they only knew the truth you know, our truth, they would believe differently and think differently. And there's a tendency of this Judeo-Christian attitude to look at the rest of the world as if they're fools. You know, we know about hell, we know what's right and wrong, and you guys are fools. And the bottom line is the joke is on the Judeo-Christian Muslim world that believes in hell. It's not linear, it's circular. 
And so in our foolishness, we are creating a huge pile of unresolved ancestral energies that are causing illness, that are causing depression, that are causing a sense of hopelessness, that are causing an inability to see new possibilities, that are causing these default choices back into fighting the same wars, the same everything. And this has to stop. We must start writing a new story if we are going to create a new world, if we are going to be the ones who figure out how to restore life to the Pacific Ocean that is, frankly, now dead and dying. We need a story that is a story that can figure out how can we not mess with our seeds? How can we not mess with the bees? How can we not mess with the water and the air and the very basic things we all need for life? How can we, humanity, stop being so foolish? So I want to take a moment, though, and appreciate one little blog that I did find. It was just a personal blog, and I have to apologize for not even remember whose it was. But this lovely person did not fall into that trap of the more professional sites with professional Western thinking people with many degrees behind their names who had nothing to offer that was of substance for people dealing with death. But this one woman just told her little personal journey with it, and it was beautiful. And what it boiled down to is this, acknowledge your fears. Now, easier said than done, but nonetheless, acknowledge your fears about death. Spend time alone and be grateful. They weren't necessarily linear. They were just the three things she felt had helped her. It was really probably the most valuable thing I found. Anyway, so shamanism. How do we investigate our fear of death? How do we work shamanically in our lives to find our fear of death and dispel it? And for many, the fear of death is deeply unconscious, and it doesn't arise in our life until we're forced by unfortunate events in life to face it. So first off, let's look at what is actually a normal fear of death, even in a shamanic culture. So it's really just a version of fear of the unknown. Now, remember, those of you who have been listening to the show, in the beginning of this new year, in the beginning of the new world, one suggestion offered you is that you make an ally of the unknown, that you change your relationship with the unknown. Here we're at one reason why. Okay, so a normal fear of death is really just a fear of the unknown. So what do you do? You educate yourself. I mean, what do you do when you don't know about something? You educate yourself. You don't just run around going, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Go educate yourself. So if you learn to journey for no other reason but to educate yourself around life and death, what happens when you die, this would be one reason worth the effort of learning to journey, which isn't that big an effort, but it'd be worth it. And it would be a great legacy to hand on to your children and to your future generations. So if you learn to journey, at the very most basic, you learn how to come and go. Form formlessness. Form formlessness. Form big formlessness. I know how to do this, right? If you learn to journey, you learn who is there with you. Who is there with you when you are formless? Who are your allies? Who are your helping spirits? They will be there when you die so that you are not alone. You have no need to be afraid because you are with your familiars. 
Before you go, you could actually work with those helping spirits in your journeys to simply ask, how do I clear my debts? Your debt's an ordinary reality. Your debt's a non-ordinary reality. You can also ask, how do I reconcile my relationships? If that is all you did with your journeying, so that at the end of your life, your debts were reconciled, your relationships were reconciled, and you were ready to go, and you could look back at your life and just be satisfied, good life, not bad, I did a good job. If that's all you did with your journeying, that would be fabulous, absolutely fabulous. Now, what you can also do with your journeying is ask, where do we go when we die? And begin to truly educate yourself as that, in that path. Now, with that said, do not do this alone. Um, not because it is um, dangerous as in bad dangerous. It is dangerous in the sense that where we go when we die is exquisite. And we tend to not want to come back. And so if you're going to explore where you go when you die, you need to do it with other people. You need to have spotters and journeyers. You need to have um, promises that this is what I will come back for, that um, your people remind you of if they have a hard time getting you back. And really, the best suggestion I would give is that you explore where you go when you die with someone who is trained. Either take a death and dying class, work with people that are trained in this area so they know how to help you return from these journeys of unbelievable and exquisite beauty. So that's one thing you can do, educate yourself. So now let's talk about the abnormal but common fear of death. And that is the fear that arises because you have been at least introduced, if not indoctrinated, into the idea of hell. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about necrophobia which is the state in which the fear of death has become an obsession. That's another situation, and I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is what we call a quote-unquote natural fear of death, but what is really a fear of going to hell, period. People are terrified to die because underneath it all, they don't know what to do, and they're afraid they're going to go to hell. So first... You need to become aware of your fears around death, which for some people are pretty well buried. So think about this as a process of uncovering them, not necessarily hunting them down <laughs> because they tend to hide if you hunt them, but, but as a process of uncovering them. So pay attention to when your fears of death are revealed by things that happen in life or when your ideas about what happens at death are challenged. Um, my husband gave me permission to share a story from his younger life when he was a um, an EMT fireman. And as a very, very young man, just freshly minted EMT guy, he responded to um, a heart attack call, a call for a woman who had had a heart attack at church. And they go rushing off um, and the woman is in church. And so everybody's all around her and she's dead when they arrive. And so they got to do the whole start the heart thing again. So they got to rip off her blouse and, you know, open up her bra and expose her. And so my sweet husband, as a very young man um, and this older woman, he just, he just asks everyone to turn and look away. And so all the whole congregation turns and looks away. He and the EMT guy rip off her clothes and jumpstart her heart and toss her in the ambulance and drive off with her. And ultimately she lives. 
So months later, this woman comes to the firehouse and looks for him, looks for my husband, and um, brings him cookies or cobbler or something lovely that she baked. And she says, thank you. And he's kind of, you know, Dudley do right, you know, just doing my job, ma'am. He says, she says, no, you don't understand. Thank you for asking everyone to turn away and preserving my modesty. And he freezes in place. How the hell did she know that? Because at the time he did that, she was dead. And she tells him about how she thought that was so kind of him to preserve her modesty. And she watched him from up above in the ceiling of the church. She watched him and how he was so careful of her her femininity and so careful of her modesty and that he appreciated not only his great efforts to save her life but how he tended her person in that her humanity in that and she just wanted to let him know she was grateful and with his mouth still hanging open she turned and left and this was the first time in his young life his beliefs about death were challenged and he came to understand something more was going on When we're dying, it's not just lights on when we're born and lights off when we die. That she was there, outside of her body, above all of it, watching him, saving her life. And so you might not have moments that dramatic, but my point is notice when your fears about death, your ideas about what happens when you die are challenged by things you encounter in life, like perhaps this radio show. And once you acknowledge that, track it. Once you've got a piece of your belief about death up in your conscious awareness, grab it. Catch that scent and track it. Where did it come from? What is the originating belief? And once you identify what that original belief is, right, decide if you still want to believe that. If so, fine. But if not, if you don't want to keep believing that belief, then clear it. Now, granted, this goes back into the actual energy clearing practice that I do, but there's lots of other ways to clear energies. Um, But clear it. Don't just let it sit there. Clear it. So the other way that you could provoke some challenge around your ideas about death to try to bring up what you're really thinking about death and hell is is explore other cultural views. Explore other people or other teachings that don't actually have an idea of hell, but actually understand death and where we go after death differently. And notice what what does challenging your, your assumed ideas about death, what does that kick up? And track it. What is the originating belief? Do you want to continue to believe that? If not, clear it. Another strategy could be to cultivate, it's a totally different strategy using your shamanic skills, but that would be to cultivate a real relationship with death. Now, this was another suggestion that came at the beginning of the year of new allies you need to create if you actually want to participate in being a new person, writing a new story for the new world. So we're back here again. Nonetheless, today's topic, create a real relationship with death. Death is an ally, and you can journey to meet death and begin to work with death as you would any other helping spirit. 
So recently, this woman did totally, totally heroic work at my first year workshop. She herself is struggling with a very challenging um, diagnosis that is believed by many in the medical field to be terminal. And she came to the workshop, and now I'm doing all this talking about death and making death an ally, believing she was already dealing with her fear about death. But what she realized when we did our process to go meet death as an ally and ask death for a message that would help us in our task that evening, she realized she hadn't yet met death. That what she'd been struggling with was everybody else's projections and fears about death from the medical system. But that death she only had just met and death treated her very well, was very gracious to her knowing she was so close and that death was very intimate with her and very kind and was quite happy to help her discover what she would need to do to reclaim her life. And this was unbelievable to this woman. She was very heroic in being willing to do this at this time that was so critical in terms of her physical life and death. And the presence of death as an ally ultimately became very calming. And so if we were to cultivate death as an ally and use death to help us live life, and there are many ways to do that using death as a helping spirit basically in your journeys, when it is time for you to go then, you would simply greet death as an old friend and dear ally who worked tirelessly with you to make sure that you truly and fully lived your life. And, and death would not be someone, something to be afraid of, but would be the greeting of an old friend. And you would be in good company as you began your journey to the land of the dead. So let's say that you're a strong journeyer. You could begin to clear the way. You could ask your helping spirits, how do I clear the way for my own death? This will be, of course, all about how do you live well and how do you reconcile your relationships, but you might as well do it now while you're living. If you're a really strong journeyer and you are interested in cultivating relationships with ancestral helping spirits, you could learn to do the ancestral healing work and truly clear the way for yourself and for your loved ones, for humanity. And I don't encourage you to try this yourself. It's tricky. We often get caught in our own issues with our own ancestors. This is group work initially until you really gain your sea legs in doing ancestral work and actually clear a great deal of your own issues and cultivate a great resource of ancestral helping spirits. So this is an amazing time that we live in, this time, the birth of a new world and the birth of a new world that was inevitable because it was part of the earth's life cycle. But you, I, we were not inevitable. We chose to be here now. Why? Because there is a possibility that this could be a truly new world if we are willing to be skillful. Are you using your skills? Are you willing to use your skills to purge your fears about hell? your belief in the lie of separation, 
and all parts of that story that do not help you know how to live well and how to die well, how to cross to the land of the dead and return as an ancestral helping spirit to your people. Are you gaining the skills that you need to do what you have come here to do? If it is to truly be a new story, we need these new allies. So I propose to each of you this week that you break up with hell. You end that relationship and move on to a new love. You can love death. You can love the unknown. Pick a new ally, but break up with hell. End that love affair and start something new. You know, death, unknown, all these allies, your ancestral helping spirits, they're happy for you to have open relationships with them. They're not exclusive. But I challenge you to start a great love affair with what is really going on here. I challenge you to start a great love affair with life and death and the greater truth of the cycling of all things. So I give thanks to our ancestral helping spirits for being with us in spite of our blindness and foolishness and our silly stories. I give thanks to the energy of the earth below, the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Next week, we'll turn today's show over on its head and explore why we are so afraid to live. So here's a quote from Mark Twain for us to think about this week. The fear of death follows from a fear of life. A person who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week and break up with hell. Get a new lover. <laughs>